Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 50. Welcome back, my friends, to the 50th episode of the Healing Catalyst podcast. Pretty exciting. I'm Avanti, and I'm so happy to be here with you. Now, before we get into today's episode, I first want to say thank you to all of you for all of the messages that you've been sending to me these past few weeks to tell me how much the podcast is helping you. In fact, the number of messages I've received in just the last week from part one of this conversation about psychedelic plant medicine and sacred medicine has been so incredibly gratifying and amazing because so many of you have told me that you've been looking for this information and that it's so valuable to you. I really appreciate your messages because they fuel me to keep doing all of this work. And so if you haven't already, I would so appreciate it if you take just a minute to leave a five-star review with a few words about how the podcast has helped you. You know, your reviews are the number one thing that will help this show grow more and reach more people. There's a link in the show notes. So please pause the podcast right now and take just a minute to leave a review if you already haven't. Okay, so today we're back with part two of this amazing two-part series with two of my brilliant colleagues and dear friends, Dr. Ellen Bora and Dr. Thanmeet Sethi, all about the ceremonial and therapeutic applications of psychedelic plant medicines. First, a little about my two guests, both of whom were also on the podcast last year. We've linked those episodes in the show notes, because if you haven't already, you definitely want to go back and listen to those episodes. My first guest is Dr. Ellen Bora, a board certified psychiatrist, medical acupuncturist and yoga teacher. Ellen takes a functional medicine approach to mental health, considering the whole person and addressing imbalance at the root rather than just reflexively prescribing medication. She focuses on everything from physical health, sleep, nutrition, digestion, thought patterns, relationships, and community to our connection with nature and creativity and the ways that we find meaning and purpose in life. Her first book, The Anatomy of Anxiety, has been a bestseller since it was published in March, and I highly recommend it to all of you. It's a paradigm shift in how we think about anxiety. My second guest is Dr. Thanmeet Sethi, a board-certified integrative physician, speaker, and educator who has worked with thousands of patients for over two decades in a large urban hospital in Seattle, serving as an advocate for marginalized populations, women, and children. And what she's discovered is that while illness may appear in many forms, it almost always stems from a common source, a disconnection from spirituality and a disconnection from healthy foods that feed your body, mind, and soul. She's witnessed transformative results in her patients from practicing gratitude, prayer, breathing, cooking, and mindful eating. Dr. Sethi is a TEDx speaker and is currently writing her first book, which will be published next year in the spring of 2023. 
In this amazing conversation with Ellen Anthony Meath, we discuss everything that you want to know about psychedelic plant medicines. In part two this week, we discuss what a sacred medicine ceremony is and what to expect if you participate in ceremony, why ritual is medicine, and what to look for when searching for a psychedelic or plant medicine practitioner. And in case you missed it, last week in part one, we discussed what psychedelic medicines are, how they work, the history of psychedelic plant medicine in indigenous cultures, and the importance of community and ritual in healing. That's linked in the show notes in case you want to go back and listen to that. I highly recommend it. And as I said last week, in these conversations, both Ellen and Thanmeeth share their wisdom and knowledge from a place not just of years of training and expertise as doctors, but from a deep place of humanity and love. I hope that you enjoy this continuation of our beautiful conversation about our personal and professional journeys with sacred plant medicine. And I hope that it serves you on your healing journeys as well. So can we also turn now, you know, we've talked about what these plant medicines are and sort of the mechanisms of action and some of the ideas around ceremony and ritual. Would either of you be willing to share a little bit more specifics about how a plant medicine ceremony really works for, for people who might be wondering, you know, well, what does that mean even? Um, and might have a little bit of fear around it or a little bit of curiosity even. Would you be willing to share a little bit about, I mean, whatever you can share, I know some of this is sacred information and experience, but sort of what is a sacred plant medicine ceremony? Yeah, this one, Avanti, I find this question really difficult because there's no one, it's such a, a heterogeneous and vast, you know, cultures that use these plants. And then I can't speak for even, you know, a minutia of them, <laughs> hardly any, and nor would I want to. But I, I do think that there are elements of ceremony that are common and that do not violate the sacred wisdom that is to only be shared with those who are offered it. And and like I said, ceremony is something you make yourself as well, and so people can make anything ceremonial. I think that commonalities um, really are about gratitude, honoring, and community is what I, I have not thought this out. I'm thinking it out with you. Please. Here. Yes. Um, but that there be a way of honoring both the past, our ancestors, as well as those we're with in ceremony. Um, and those that may be healed by our exploration today to come, you know, and then Gratitude for this medicine, gratitude for this privilege of being able to receive it, and then honoring that community that is here to heal. And I think that might be one of, you know, most of the studies are by nature done individually right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, we're moving more into group studies, and I'm, that's my real passion to really work in group. But I think, you know, for lots of reasons, which we could get into, it needed to be proven and, and it was tread slowly. But really, these plants have always been used in community and community is where healing has happened. And um, even the idea of individual, I, I really feel in big favor of supervised use and therapy individually. At the same time, I think let's not forget that 
what is really important about ceremony in the way these have been used is community. And so I'm hoping we can move towards an understanding of breaking out of our Western box and allowing ceremony to be something we share. So I'm just thinking that out, Ellen, you go and I'll, those seem to be the elements that I feel are common, but there's just, I I don't know how to group that ceremony Mm -hmm. together. I think you're bringing so much wisdom to, to making sure that, you know, keeping sacred things sacred and, Mm -hmm. and also these, you know, we're so suggestible with these medicines as well. So, so putting an idea into someone's mind is, you know, to, that's to be handled judiciously. Um, I have this compulsive need to sort of throw out a couple things to expect just because I can picture myself on the other end of the line, just being like, tell me what to expect. I'm terrified. I don't know whether or not Mm -hmm. I want to go through with this. And, and I think that, you know, sort of just lightly touching upon some of that, it's very medicine dependent. Um, Like with MDMA, for example, to me, you know, set and setting is so impactful with all of them, but MDMA, you know, people use it as a party drug or they might want to dance or they might want to make love. And some people like, you know, when it's used in these therapeutic settings, I think that one of the most important thing that, that comes up is you're sort of undefended and it's an empathogen. So it starts to make it much more accessible to find compassion and understanding and empathy for everything in your life the good stuff, but also the hard stuff. And that's really useful. It's really useful. And not to sort of forgive anyone who's done something wrong. It's, it's not for them. You know, it's most of all just for the ways that it hardens our own hearts to carry around um, the trauma or the resentment or the, you know, just all of the ways that we hold on to the wrongs. And then um, with something like ayahuasca, you know, there's there's a lot of drama around the purging, the getting well called, you know, where you might throw up. And I will just say that, like for me, it's, I came into it thinking, oh, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun. And I come away being like, oh, it's kind of the best part. It's, it's not, um, in a way, what's for me much worse is not purging. Um, and so you, you kind of have this initial phase of, of nausea that can build and getting well or purging is actually an incredible release and you feel much better afterward. And at least in my experience, it seems to catapult me into a really deep place in the ceremony. Um, and I've always thought about it as like, you're entering a temple For me, and I bring a lot of a spiritual relationship to these medicines, I feel like I'm about to go be with God and you cannot enter that temple lightly. That it has to be at salient. It has to feel powerful. And for me, the way my body enters or passes through that threshold is with nausea and vomiting. And and in many ways, I, I always, I'm thrilled when I get to that point in ceremony. And I know that I'm about to go be with God. And, um, and I think that one thing that's consistent through the classic psychedelics is a little bit of something I always find myself debating. Is it a royal road to truth? Is it a royal road to my own unconscious? Is it guidance from on high? I don't know. 
I don't know. And I'm not sure it totally matters as mm -hmm. long as the message is one of love. You know, if it's a dark mm -hmm. message, I'm, I'll second guess it. But if it's a message around connection, love, trusting, surrendering, feeling unconditionally loved, and of accepting that message, um, I don't really care if it comes from my own unconscious or from a spirit form. Like it's, it's a really helpful takeaway. Mm -hmm. We'll come back at, at a point to talking about sort of what can be challenging in ceremony, but yeah. we'll, we'll put that on hold for right now. Yeah. Although somebody might think the nausea and vomiting would be challenging. <laughs> the least of your problems. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I just want to um, highlight what Ellen said about the set and setting and really what you go into that experience with and how safe you feel in that experience um, matter greatly. And I think that other things to expect also that is, especially with psilocybin and MDMA, there can be a brief period of anxiety or fear before as the medicine is really taking effect. And some people even experience it as a panic. And so that's why set and setting are so important to be not only sort of told these are the things that can happen, but also that we are holding you while that happens, whoever you're doing this with. And that, you know, having some a knowledge of breath work and how to really move through that and sit with that discomfort so you can get to kind of what I think of Ellen is describing as the good stuff, right? Like after mm -hmm. you're purging and after you, and not that it's easy. I didn't mean that, but that you're getting to the real heart of it there. Mm -hmm. at, at this comfort early on, it's, you raised such a good point, like to be held, to feel safe, to make sure that you've chosen the practitioners you're working with, with the utmost care. These need to be people with meticulous integrity and that's its own whole separate conversation. But mm -hmm. I find it has so much overlap for me with childbirth and with labor and that discomfort. It's not as painful as labor, but that discomfort, if I just am paralyzed on, in a couch, um, it's, it's very uncomfortable to be with those sensations. And I find that they're asking me to move and they're asking me to move in, in somewhat instinctual ways that, that help me move the energy. And, and that's its own purgative really is, yeah. you know, we purge with vomit but it also happens with yawning and with chanting and moaning and shaking and vibrating and moving. And when I have patients that are embarking upon an, their first ceremony, I always help them um, know that it can, this might look or seem weird and go with it. First of all, any practitioner who's holding space for this, they've seen it all and you don't need to hold back. If the crying is big, let the crying be big. If you're shaking in weird ways, that's what your body feels like doing. Let it do it. And um, I think there's really a nice, like when I get into that panicky early feeling, that autonomic slide into ceremony that you kind of, you want to grip and resist. Um, I've learned that it's, it's my body saying, like, don't just sit here, move around, start to move this energy. Mm -hmm. mm. Should we talk about challenging yes, experiences? I was just going to say, can we go there? Yeah, <laughs> let's go there. I've learned from, you know, elders to not use the term bad trip. And, um, but I will admit sometimes my brain goes there and uses that term, <laughs> but it's a, it can be challenging. And I never think of it as um, unnecessary suffering. It's, it's not cruelty or maliciousness when it's challenging. It's usually really, those are often the most transformative ceremonies and they're, they can be really difficult in the moment. 
But just like childbirth, just like so much about human suffering, the more we resist, the more we suffer. And, and to sort of make sure that we're prepared to get the benefits from the challenging work that it's offering up to us. I do think that these medicines are benevolent. I think that they give us what we're ready for. And if it's giving you something challenging, you're ready for it. And, um, and basically we have an opportunity to move through the places that were blocked or stuck. It can be really hard in the moment. I've been dropped to my knees on a number of occasions, Mm -hmm. but those are usually the ones where I come out and see the world entirely in a new light Mm -hmm. and it's helpful. Mm-hmm. I love that idea of these medicines being benevolent. I think that that is so much about, you know, what you were also speaking to Thanmeet of that this is for your healing. There's there these are sacred medicines and um so from my perspective, something that's so sacred and is for you, how could it ever be anything but benevolent for your own healing, your own evolution spiritually? Um so I love, I love that way of thinking about it too. What Ellen was saying about the most challenging being the most transformative, I think that is the beauty of these medicines is that even when it is challenging, that somehow in that default mode network, as well as the sort of really calming of the amygdala and limbic center, that we are able as humans to do what we don't usually do, which is move toward rather than run away. And mm-hmm. so- you know, in that way, even though it it can still feel really hard, I'm not saying you're excited about it, but there's a way that even though you want to resist, you're better able to move into it if you're so ready to do that. And, and I agree. I think that there is no bad trip, although I have brainwashed from the seventies, lots of um, drug stigma in me um, mm-hmm. that I'm trying to unlearn constantly. So I too love that description of benevolence and it's really about untangling what you really are fearful about because your fear is important. And then it's important to just listen to that and then talk to it and see if that fear is really grounded in reality or something that is needing to be untangled. Yeah. And just a, a kind of a nice piece of advice that I got, I think my first ceremony was you can talk to the medicine. And you can always like you are a participant in where it goes. And so if it really takes you somewhere challenging and you don't want to be there, which honestly, medicine has taken me somewhere challenging. And from the outside, it might've looked like, whoa, is Ellen okay? But I was, I knew that I, I was right where I wanted to be in the, in, the, in the thick of the storm. But there are times when you might not want to be, you might not want to go there. And something as simple as, changing your setting, changing the music, asking for a hug. Like there, there are things you can do to shift the energy a bit. And so just to know that you're not necessarily stuck and it's not something to be so scared of. And you might surprise yourself that if it takes you somewhere challenging, you might actually be game for it. Yeah. I think what both of you are speaking to is so interesting because it's this idea that you are a participant in your healing and that you are a participant in the work of this medicine. It's such a different perspective than that of Western medicine, which is things are being done to you. You're told to take this medicine, to have this procedure, whatever it is. It's sort of like, you're not a participant. You're sort of looking at it from the outside. But when you look at it, 
from this integrated perspective, it's so empowering just to think about it that way. And so maybe, you know, I think hopefully what, what this conversation has done for people is take a little bit of that fear away of, you know, that stigma from the seventies of the counterculture of drugs and, you know, how it's, you know, it was sort of put into my head of like, oh my gosh, it's all bad and it's all going to kill you. And, you know, that, that fear response to it of no, 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 this is this, these are medicines that have come from the earth that have been here for millennia. And if you have reverence and honor for them and understand how you participate, there's nothing to be fearful of, which I think is really, really profound and beautiful. Um, but we should talk about, because we're all physicians about, you know, who, who are these medicines for? Like, what is the medical application? Let's go back a little bit and integrate it now into, you know, who should be thinking about these, who should not be thinking about these? Because again, media has portrayed it as this is, this can help everybody, which it probably can, but you know, there are contraindications. So can we just speak about that a little? I can take a first stab. I mean, in a way, I wish I had my partner at my side because I've outsourced much of this to his brain. He's very good at this. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, like her indication is basically treatment-resistant depression for ketamine. You know, that's that's where we're at. Um, and coming quickly down the pipeline is a sort of expedited approval through the FDA for MDMA for PTSD. Um, but you know, so that's where we're at right now in terms of clinical indications. But um, what I think is that I sort of categorize brains into like rigid and stuck or chaotic. And, um, there's a lot more to brains, but that's one way I could classify someone's brain. And I think the psychedelic can be particularly helpful for any state of rigidity or stuckness, um, melancholic depression, OCD, um, sort of, uh, certainly trauma, uh, different kinds of addictions. I think that um, really entrenched patterns where the, the groove just keeps getting deeper and deeper and life keeps kind of even reinforcing, um, how someone is stuck. And for them, I think psychedelics are often really useful. Um, chaotic brains, um, like a poorly managed bipolar disorder, um, sort of anyone with any liminal touch with psychosis. Like I don't, want them working with psychedelic medicines. Um, and yeah, I think the ritual, the ceremony, critical, really therapeutic, but the ability to shake up the snow globe and have the snow fall in a different pattern is not what someone with a brain like that necessarily needs. And so, um, in a way we need to help the snow stay in place <laughs> right. in a way that serves them. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good summary of it. And I think that that's why anyone listening really needs to understand that even though there are these categories that Ellen described that ketamine and MDMA soon hopefully will be um, sort of approved, labeled for, there are many off-label uses of ketamine is used in many kinds of depression and other um, mental health conditions that aren't sort of the, you know, the ones that maybe have been proven, but, you know, that's why it's important to find a practitioner who's well-versed, who's trained, who understands these medicines well and how to use them. And 
I love that chaotic, rigid, separate. I've never thought of it that way. But I think that, you know, anyone who is challenged by that chaotic brain is now I'm going to think about it like that all the time. That really, this isn't the best medicine, but it may be eventually, I don't know. I would not have someone listening think that, you know, this is never for me, but I don't think we're there yet. And I don't think we're there safely yet. And to understand, we need to understand the medicines much better. But in general, you know, it's been not only studied for um, PTSD and depression, but as Ellen said, alcohol abuse, smoking cessation and OCD, eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorites is, um, you know, the existential anxiety with life-threatening cancer and life-ending disease. So really this idea of, you know, I'm not sure how to come to peace with death and also how to come to peace with leaving my loved ones or being left as well. So there's a lot being explored and and what is coming, you know, I think will be vast. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that caveat you bring up of just not yet. And when I think about the chaotic brain, I'm always thinking, well, what is the root cause in any given individual's Mm -hmm. chaotic brain? And and sometimes it can be trauma. And then I think it would be doing a disservice to think that MDMA might not be indicated. But I do think this is truly a case where we need more research just to know potential benefits, potential negative consequences. Definitely. And so then the question is going to be, for a lot of people, including myself, you know, how do you figure out where to go to find someone to help you discern if this might be a good idea for you or not? You know, um, because I think that that's another challenge of, you know, you hear all again, the media, you can just go get a ketamine treatment. You can just do this. You can do that. And it's very confusing. So what would your advice be there? For anybody who wants to stay sort of above board legal it's, it's ketamine right now. And they're yes. really good ketamine clinics and, and they all have a slightly different focus as a psychiatrist. I'm somewhat partial. I like ketamine centers that put a lot of emphasis on integration. Um, and so, um, I'm not that, I don't have a strong preference between IM or IV, um, maybe oral, I think can sometimes be a little bit less effective, but, mm-hmm. um, it can all be effective. And so I just try to point people towards a really good integration focused ketamine treatment center in their area. Um, I'll have patients who are open to traveling internationally to places where different substances are legal. So, you know, psilocybin, for example, in Holland and Jamaica, um, I think also in Bali, it's legal. And then, um, and then places in South America where ayahuasca is legal and, um, we haven't even talked about ibogaine, but that's a whole other conversation. And, and I think that um, then it's really about discerning the integrity, the quality, the expertise that's happening there. And it's, there's no perfect database. It's really about word of mouth and kind of doing a gut check and, and doing your research. Um, and then there are underground practitioners who I will now list out loud on the podcast. <laughs> but I, I kid, April <laughs> fools. So I, I think that the thing about it is that these are people, <laughs> these are people that are really putting their, their license, their livelihood at risk to offer up this medicine because they believe so strongly that it's needed. Um, and so there's, there's no above ground way to be distributing this information for good reason, but, um, you know, taking the extra steps to find the underground practitioners in your area can sometimes be a good path. And in my experience, 
these are practitioners who are, who are practicing with quite a, a lot of, they're, they're very judicious. They're, they're cautious. They have to be. Um, and they're really just doing a service, um, you know, and sometimes putting their, their own license at risk in order to mm-hmm. provide this service, make it accessible. Yeah. And then I would just add to, you know, try your due diligence when, if you're um, going to a retreat center or a center um, in a different country to see if they have reciprocity with the local cultures from where they've received these plants and this knowledge, are they giving back? Are they honoring the shamans and teachers who've brought it to them? Um, You know, there's a real fine line between this medical tourism exploitation and going to have an experience and ceremony. and, And it really is unfortunately treading a line that is worrisome to me. You know, that's another point of just doing your diligence there. And I think that what Ellen's saying about practitioners who are risking their licenses, I think, you know, there's there's so I think eventually we're going to have to integrate in some way these practitioners who have so many years of knowledge with those of us who are above ground and staying in the, you know, in what is now what is deemed legal. And so I I say that because I don't want to dismiss their work. I think what Ellen said is real is that they have, they're in general benevolent, judicious, and quite skilled. And so eventually we're going to have to bring that knowledge together. But unfortunately, that sense of how to find them is not something, you know, that is neither legal or something I can, you know, offer. (laughs) For sure. For sure. No, I think it was just that the question was meant more for this exact reason, because I think it's very confusing to people as to like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to look for? So I think that the tips that both of you and the suggestions you both have given is so incredibly valuable to people who are listening of trying to sort out, where do I go if I think this could help me? Um, Because as you said, it can be life-changing. It's so healing for people. And so Um, giving them that knowledge, I think is really important. And so I know that we have just a few minutes left and I just, I want to ask one more question of both of you, you know, where do you see the future of these plant medicines? I mean, it's like back to the future, really to, to think about it that way, because these are millennia old medicines, but what do you think the future is for psychedelic plant medicine? It makes me think of what this one facilitator said in ceremony once, or it was after ceremony and integration. He was saying how he had been working with these medicines um, in Peru for um, probably 15 or 20 years. And for the longest time, they felt the responsibility to really protect it and to really keep it safe and keep it somewhat secret and sort of ward off the, the tourism and sort of the people coming in. Um, and then he got a download in a ceremony where basically mother ayahuasca said to him, Oh no, honey, I don't need you to keep me safe. You all need me to keep you safe. (laughs) And, and, and basically at that point he got the memo that his role in this, and I do sometimes think these medicines are recruiting an army. Um, his role was to help make this medicine accessible, um, in, in other parts of the world. So he travels around and he facilitates ayahuasca ceremonies. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that Westerners have a tendency to make things gross, you know, we exploit, we, um, you know, I worry that where we're headed towards is like ayahuasca in a can that you drink Coachella yeah, and you know, we're, we're racing towards that and we lose all the reverence. We lose everything sacred. We lose the reciprocity. It's, it's a, it's a, that's a grim possibility. And I, and I think we're kind of 
just straddling these, these issues where we need to keep being um, just so intentional and careful with how we um, learn from something that, that traditional cultures, they have such, they're so steeped in tradition with it, um, letting it actually benefit the world, letting it actually help us all grow and improve, but without exploitation. And um, I think it's a really delicate balance, but where I see us going is um, I think it will just keep becoming more and more mainstream for better or worse. And I think there will also be plenty of blowback at some point and for better or worse, you know, I think that we'll just keep bunny hopping our way, but more and more, I think that um, I do actually think it's pretty transformative medicine and I'm interested in, in humans quieting our default mode networks, realizing we're more interconnected finding access to our capacity for empathy. And so I do, it does make me hopeful that it's, that we're having a more mainstream effect. And I will just want to shout out to organizations like MAP and universities like Johns Hopkins, UCLA, NYU, they're doing such careful research and they're approaching it so intelligently. And it's really creating a foundation for us to um, have this, you know, new psychedelic renaissance where, um, it's like an airtight case to be made. You're looking at terminal cancer patients with existential angst about death. Like this is a really smart way to approach revealing the benefits of these medicines. So I think they're going about it so smartly and, you know, debt of gratitude to the work they're doing it to, to make this accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, w- I, I agree with all of that. I remain hopeful um, I, I have to tell you the truth. I vacillate between anger and frustration that these plants are not accessible in the way that they were and that we've been deprived of them really from an oppressive governmental edicts. And at the same time, when I try to reapprise that to give meaning and you know try to be hopeful, what I try to look at is that this judicious, careful stepping forward could be a way for us to slowly, carefully pause and honor what these medicines are really for and how powerful they can be. And my hope is that we offer them with access to the, in, in fact, the most marginalized um, communities, that we offer them in a way that communities can heal together and that we do it slowly and judiciously. But I do agree there is this big possibility that um, corporate, you know, Western world will make that go a little faster than I'd like. So I want the access, but I want it to be judicious and with reciprocity. Wow. I have so many more things I want to talk about, but I know that we're at the end of our time. So all I can say is thank you so much to both of you for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your expertise. I know that these two episodes are going to help so many people. So thank you so much for being with me, both of you. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, Find me on Instagram at Avanti Kumar Singh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.